0: All right, here's what I want you guys to do. Here's what I want you guys to do. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I'm not going to throw anything at you, I promise. I want you guys to just focus on the Christmas season. I want you guys to focus on the joy of the Christmas season. What is it that is the joy of the Christmas season? Is it waking up on Christmas morning, running down and seeing a bunch of presents? Is it the family? The friends? The crap load of Hallmark movies? The annoyingly 24 hours of Christmas story? The memories. What is the joy of Christmas? While your eyes are still shut, just think about this. Are those things truly the joy of Christmas? If those things were to disappear, whether it be your family, your friends, the circumstances, the gifts, would you still be finding the joy of Christmas? All right, open your eyes. So, so far, we have talked about hope. We talked about what the hope came when Jesus came to the earth, the hope that br- was brought to this world, the hope that we now have. And then last week, we talked about the peace that came with Jesus and how peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus Christ, right? This week, I'm gonna t- we're going to talk about, to me, is the hardest advent sermon you know they have hope peace love and the one that's missing is yeah the one that's missing is joy to me that's the hardest one because what ends up happening is that throughout christmas we get a little confused what the joy of christmas is we get confused of what the happiness of christmas is because in reality all those things that i asked you bring you a lot of happiness right I think they do. All those things are good things in and of themselves. They bring you some happiness. They bring you those, those good feelings, that little tingly feeling you get when you open up that Christmas present, right? They all bring you happiness, but I will argue that they don't bring you joy. Because at the same time, many of us, maybe some of you on in this room, Christmas can be very difficult to be happy it can be very difficult to find happiness at this time of year. If some of us have family members who are struggling, some of us have family members who have we have lost over the years, some of us have this hard concept of Christmas. And I'll be honest with you, I'm gonna be a little vulnerable here with you guys. I am already not looking forward to Christmas for one reason. See, my family's moving here. My brother's moving up from Nashville on Wednesday. It'll be the first time in 10 years that all my family will be together for Christmas. Ten years. It's always been, someone's been somewhere. However, we have already pretty much determined that this will be my grandfather's last Christmas with us. I'm already not looking forward to that. That's not really a happy thought. When you hear your mom say, hey, we brought hospice in, we're not putting a date on this, but you can pretty much already, it's going to be his last Christmas. Katie and I went down to visit him a couple weeks ago, and it's the first time I even got to visit him, visit him in about three months. And the last time I saw him was, I believe, at his birthday party where he turned 90. And to see what can happen to a human body in a few months does not bring happiness. And I asked the question, where can you find any joy in that? That's why I said this can be a very hard one to look at. Because I do want to argue that joy and happiness are not the same thing. See, today we inter, inter, intermingle those words and we say they're the exact same thing. They're synonyms for each, they're the exact same thing, and that's false. It is not true. Because in today's society, we've now substituted joy for a status. We think joy is what that feeling that you get when something happens. It might be when you get that first car, right? I, f- I got my first car, that joy that you get, and then two months later you wreck it. Is that joy still there? You might think it's when I finally pass the class that I've been struggling and all, all year long. You think, I'm, I'm so joyful, I passed the class, and then you fail the next one. Or you finally get your driver's license, and then you get seven speeding tickets. I'm not speaking of the experience on that one. Or you think, hey, that boy who I like or that girl that I like finally asked me out. We finally went on the first date and now they've broken my heart. Did it really bring you joy? Because what we do, we substitute happiness for joy and we start intermingling these things and they're the same thing. We put all of our hopes and dreams in this idea that when I finally obtain this, when I finally receive this, when I finally get this blessing, I will have joy. And when that joy is gone, we say, why in the world did that happen? What was that all about? See, I think we fail to understand that they're not the same thing, because I believe happiness depends on happenings. What I mean by that, happiness depends on happenings, is that the circumstances in your life that produce good feelings, right? When you pass that class, yes, you get a good feeling. When you get that car you, you're excited about it and you want to show everybody, but happiness depends on happenings. The happenings in your life, the circumstances in your life can all disappear overnight. You realize that, right? All the things, all the material possessions that you guys think will bring you happiness can disappear, and you're left trying to figure out, what do I even have left? Your families can disappear, your loved ones can disappear, your house can disappear, and you're left wondering, what do I have left? And usually, how do we respond in that situation? we start asking some very tough questions and we usually start pointing fingers at somebody who we think is distant or not part of the situation anymore. But I want to give you guys a different idea. I want to give you guys a different definition to show you how happiness is just depending upon happenings. And I want to show you a different thing about what joy is. Because here's my definition of joy. This is Scott's definition. That joy is the soul's response to the encounter with Jesus Christ. It is not this I got goosebumps. It's not this, oh, I feel so good today. It's not this, I'm living on this mountaintop experience. I just got back from fall retreat. I am jacked up. I am pumped up. Oh, my gosh. My life's crushing all around me all of a sudden. I'm not talking about that spiritual, emotional feeling. I'm talking about something deep down in your soul. When you have encountered Jesus Christ in the, in the midst of all these different things, you can still say, I can still find joy despite all of this negativity. Because joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. It's dependent upon Christ. So we're going to continue reading where we started last week in Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8. It'll be on the screen, or you can follow along if you have your Bible app uh, or a Bible. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night, With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her, in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. All throughout Scripture, we see these little examples of when the divine and humanity meet. Now, what do I mean by that? All throughout the Old Testament, we see a, a representation of God, an angel appearing before man. And what is the usual response of huma- humanity? Fear, right? It's not... I have a question. Um, w- did Adam have a belly button did did the, which which really did come first, God, the chicken or the egg like i I think you know God created the chicken, so therefore the chicken had to be created first, and then the egg but that would make sense because then how would it, every single time in Ezekiel. John, Daniel, Revelation, Acts, every single time someone is encountered with the divine, whether it be God, a spirit of God, the the angel, a representation of heaven, what happens? They fear. And it's not just like, oh. They usually fall down on their face, terrified, deathly terrified. They don't know why these people are here in front of them. But here's what's going through my head in this moment. You know why they're freaked out? It's not just because you're standing there. All of a sudden, a little angel pops up and is like, "Hey!" It's just this angel appears before you, and you know it's not a, it's, you know it's not human. You know it's something angelic. You know it's something spiritual. You know it's something great and mighty. And all of a sudden, you fall down on your face because you are a worthless sinner, filled with guilt and shame, and you're not even, you can't come before the presence of God, let alone even an angel. And you bow down. And you're like, I, "Like, stay away from me." Right? Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. He bows down. Ezekiel, they all fall down. Paul, who used to be known as Saul, when going along the road, he sees and hears the word of Jesus Christ himself, and he falls down. And it's not not just that they fall down in worship. They fall down in fear of what is before them. Imagine standing there out in this field. You're a shepherd. You're just watching these sheep And all of a sudden, this angel appears before you. And I want you to get this idea out of your mind. I'm not talking about the cute little cherubim with the little baby butts and the little tiny wings that you see on Hallmark cards. No, that's not what I have in my mind. Because every single time an angel or a representation of God appears to people, they fall down on fear. I don't think that cute little baby butt cherubim is that terrifying. Right? Get that idea out of your head. An angel appears before them. And what's the very first thing he says to them? Fear not. Now, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, right. Like, you are clearly not of this world. You are clearly not one of us. I am freaked out. I probably just wet myself. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. That sheep wet himself, too. Like, what in the world? But was the purpose of the angel to strike fear into him? Was that what the purpose was? Because all throughout Scripture, we don't see this idea of them striking fear. They're not coming just for the sake of striking fear. They're coming to send a message or deliver a message to somebody. The purpose of the angelic announcement was not to bring fear, but to drive fear out. To drive fear out. Because when they come up and they look upon him and says, Hey, I know you're freaked out, but fear not, because we have something great that we're getting ready to tell you. All throughout Scripture, when there is a representation of God, when divine the divine and humanity clash, and when they meet, there is usually this representation of fear, and there's always this deliverance of a message. Almost always. A revelation of Jesus Christ, a revelation of God's word, whatever it may be, whether it be someone getting ready to prophesy, to prophesize, whatever it is. But why do I believe this? Because I believe that Jesus came, not to that he came to drive out fear, and he re, came to replace it with joy. That Jesus did not come into this world to make you fearful of him. He did not come into this world to make you guys fearful of what would happen to you if you did not believe. He did not come for that reason. He did not come to drive fear into your life. He came to drive it out. But see, here's what I believe. We talked about, we had a meeting earlier, we were talking about fasting. I believe some of you all have been fasting. And whenever you fast, the idea is to remove something that you love in your life to remove, whether it be food, whether it be your phone, whatever it is. But if you're going to remove something, what do you have to do? You have to replace it with something good, something honorable, something holy, right? So the idea of fasting is not, I'm just not going to eat today. No, the idea of fasting is usually, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to take this time from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I am not going to be... Sustained by food. I'm going to be sustained by the, sustained by the word of God. So in that time, not, I'm not relying on my food. I'm going to rely on God's word. I'm going to spend time listening to God's voice. I'm going to try to hear his voice speaking to me. Whenever you remove something, you have to replace it. Because Jesus came to drive fear out. And not only that, he came to put something else in its place, something even greater. And that was joy. It says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what? Joy. I love the imagery that we see in this. My favorite part of this entire passage is this this one sentence in verse 13. And suddenly there was an angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Think about this. Just one angel would freak you out, right? One angel would terrify you. Now imagine sitting outside on the banks of the Ohio River looking up and you are seeing all the expansion of the sky, that all that we can see filled with the heavenly host singing and praising the Lord. If one didn't freak you out, I think thousands, millions, billions would freak you out. But the best part, here's why I like this. Because the best part of that is that one angel did not, did not do the message of Jesus Christ justice, so it took a multitude to stand before all of creation and sing praises to his Heavenly Father. There's a, there's a verse in Job that says, The stars cried out in worship, and it's referring to the angels that back at creation, all of the angelic hosts, all the heavenly hosts, the multitudes of heavenly hosts were singing praises in creation. And the next time they were to sing again was here in Luke chapter 2, when the birth of Jesus Christ was to be announced. That for thousands of years, ever since creation, ever since eternity's past, they've been waiting for this moment, and one person, one messenger, would not do it justice. So all of them showed up singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to them, who he is pleased. It says, a lot of things came in that. A lot of things were in that message. Fear not, for I, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a lot of truth in that statement that we've unpacked that the last couple of weeks. But what we've talked about is that we have this idea of peace coming. Not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus Christ. Not the, not the lack of hope that we have in this world, but the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It says the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ the Lord is now here. And out of that, the angels responded in worship. While men are falling down on their face in fear, the angels are lifting up their faces and lifting up their hands in heavenly worship because the greatest joy the greatest joy that there is was the good news of jesus christ the greatest news was the good news of jesus christ the actual greek words that are broken down in this story the word actually means good news which is the gospel and when it says when they spoke it the actually word breaks down to they evangelized They were coming there to evangelize. They were coming there to point to Jesus Christ who was coming. They were there to announce his birth, to announce what he would be bringing. But imagine yourself still sitting there in fear. Because I'll be honest, if I'm the shepherd, I'm still probably a little fearful. Because here's what's going through my head. He's here now. I got to go get myself fixed. I got to go get myself right with God. I gotta go fix a lot of these things. I have to go. I I have to go clear my browsing history on my computer. I have to go get all the alcohol out of my fridge. I gotta go throw all the way all those drugs I've been hiding underneath my mattress. I gotta do a lot of things. Oh my gosh, Jesus Christ is here now. What am I supposed to do? I am falling down on my face, terrified for my life, thinking God, you might as well strike me down right now because I'm not worthy of being here. And that fear absolutely paralyzes us, right? Absolutely paralyzes us. Because what we start running through our head is that we're not good enough, we're not holy enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not tall enough, we're terrible parents, we're terrible children, we're terrible pastors, we're terrible human beings. Why in the world do we even deserve to live right now? It's not just this, fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. It's looking down upon humanity who's fallen down on their face saying, I bring you good news. This news is greater than any other news you will ever hear. This thing will bring you joy. Not happiness. It will bring you joy because the happiness you think it might bring also includes someone going to hell and someone going to heaven. That may not sound right, but it's absolute, absolute joy in that moment if you know who Jesus is. But all those fears, all those things is not what the purpose of that announcement was. That's not what Jesus came to do. Because all those lies are exactly that. Lies. All those things that go through your head when you come into a presence of Jesus, when you come into your church, you hear people say, "Oh, well, I can never come to the church, the building will collapse on me. I'm not seen it happen yet. But if that were true, it'd be collapsing on every single one of us, right? I'm not good enough to go into church. None of us are. I'm not good enough to open my Bible. None of us are. I'm not good enough to get into heaven. Yep, yeah, that's, that's the truth. That's probably the truest statement we'll ever say. We're not good enough. But we cannot believe the lies that Satan puts into our head when we start thinking about these things, though. Because all those are just lies and enemies stripping us of the joy that we could potentially have. Because all those things will ruin your happiness. All those lives will ruin your happiness, but they cannot touch your joy. Because the joy is not just, for these, it's not just for these shepherds. The joy was not just for Mary and Joseph. The joy was and is for all people, not just for the few. That, yes, 2,000 years ago, they said, I bring you good news, a great joy. That wasn't just a singular moment. That was a lifelong, until eternity comes to an end moment. Joy for all people. It wasn't just for Mary and Joseph, it was for Tommy Ketchum, it was for Audrey Corner, it was for all people, for everyone. And if you ever think that you don't deserve it, if you ever think that you're not good enough to even hear it, do you realize who he's speaking to? The very first people that the angels revealed the birth of Jesus Christ to were them of the lowest people on the totem pole. Shepherds were just above lepers in society. Lepers who were kicked out of The camp. Kicked out of the city where they had to live in colonies by themselves. Shepherds were just one step above them. They were nasty people. Think about it. They were around nasty. You ever been around sheep? They stink. Guess Guess what else stinks? The shepherds. They were not the greatest people, according to society. But this is not just an amazing announcement. But think about this. We see today like people getting on Facebook and they do these like big birth announcements, right? You see, it and that's all over Facebook. And you guys, what'd you do, David? You you hit something, did you? The baseball bat, or you shot a cannon? That's what he did, right? This. <laughs> Think about this, this is a birth announcement, right? In this time period, if you, you would think the birth, announcement would go, the birth announcement of the Messiah in their minds would be not going to the shepherds. It would not be going to the lepers. It would be going to nobles. It would be going to kings. It would be going to the priests, the ones who knew the law, the ones who knew the word of the Lord. It would be going to all the elite. And yet God comes in and says, you know what? I'm going to reveal myself to, first to the oppressed because guess what? They're oppressing them. They're the ones who I've come to serve. I've come to serve the poor and the needy. Shepherds were viewed with great deal of disdain in this day. They were viewed as dirty. They were viewed as incompetent thieves. And when the good news of all for all people came, it went first to shepherds. People with superior skills and talents and wealth always got the first, right? In that time period, if you were wealthy, if you had a good job, if you had good status, if you had a good position, you got everything first. Jesus came and turned everything upside down and went first to the lowest of the lows. But one of my favorite part of the scripture is how the shepherds respond. After their great fear, after the great fear is now driven out and now they are filled with great joy, what did they do? Where do they go? They go to Bethlehem. They had to see this for themselves. It wasn't as, I don't know if I believe you. I, I, thi- I don't, mm, no, doesn't sound right. No, they are now compelled by this idea that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had now come. They wanted to see this for themselves. They wanted to come and have an encounter. It may have just been a baby, but they knew this baby was the Messiah. They came into his presence. They worshipped him. And after they saw this for themselves, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. I love that. They worshiped and they became vessels. They they were they were spreading the good news. It was evident that they had an encounter with the Messiah. It wasn't just they walked in and saw a little baby, oh, how cute, selfie. It wasn't that. Imagine these people who smell like sheep turds walking in and they come down and they bow down on their faces and worship this child because they knew this child was the Messiah that they've been waiting for for hundreds, thousands of years. This is Him. This is the one who's going to deliver us. This is the one who's going to bring us hope. This is the one that's going to bring us peace, bring us love, and bring us joy. The fear that they had just a few moments ago is now gone and they are now filled with joy because they have come into the very presence of the Messiah. They have now encountered Him in a real and true way and is now evident by how they live. Because Jesus came to drive out fear and he to replace it with joy in order that all may glorify their Father. That's what he came to do. But I come back to where we started. Joy is still a difficult concept, right? This is still a difficult concept. Do you think those shepherds still had some bad circumstances in life? Do you think they were, you know, I said they were pretty low in society. you think that kind of bothered them from time to time? They probably still had some difficult things that they, they wanted to ask. Just like we do, we still see joy as a difficult thing. We still want to ask tough questions because now, come into our lives now. Go into, imagine your life now, where you are in this world now. And you've asked yourself these really tough questions. You look at God and say, God... If you truly want me to experience joy, if you truly want me to believe in you, how could you let that happen? How could this happen to my parents? How could that happen to my siblings? God, why do you allow these things to go on? God, why are you allowing this to happen? And God, how long are you allowing this to happen? How can you look upon this and look upon this and not see the evil and the injustice in the world? God, why won't you do something, right? We read passages that tell us, like James chapter 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. That's a great concept, but sometimes that's the most difficult concept. How can I look upon my current circumstances and go, oh, this is joyful. I'm messed up. I have these, I'm, I'm now suffering the circumstances of someone else's sin, or I'm now suffering the consequences of my own sin, and I'm supposed to consider it joy or we read passages like Romans chapter 8 which I'm going to spend more time if you're here next Sunday morning I'm going to talk about this how do we how do we rationalize this idea that for all things God works together for the good how do we believe that the current circumstances or the current consequences that we are facing how can I understand and rationalize that all these things will work for the good that's very difficult but this is what I this is what I have come to believe this is what I come to realize is that in those moments, yes, I'm not happy, but I can still find joy. But whenever, I have, whenever we struggle to find joy, it is because fear, the fear that paralyzes, the fear that we have is overpowering our joy, and we can no longer see the promises of God. We, can know we have allowed fear to become more than what it should be. We allow it to take control of our lives. We allow all of it to, it rules our thoughts, it rules our lives. Everything is all surrounded by this fear and in the midst of that fear, what do we do? We look for answers. But how often do we ever actually go, "Where God? Where do you say this?" No. Usually, what happens is, "Zach, what do you think?" Or we look over to our small groups, "What do you guys think?" Maybe I can pick up a Joel Osteen book. What, go, Joel? What do you say about this? Or we look over at Craig Rochelle and go, "Craig, you're my, you're my homie. What do you say about this?" Right? Craig Rochelle, awesome. Plug. We look in all these different answers for God. What are you going to do? What and we, how often do we? Skip over the Word of God. How often do we ever skip over going to our knees and praying to our Lord, saying, God, why? why, I need help. So often we allow the fear to overpower the joy that we can have because we no longer see His promises. You've heard me talk about so many different points in my life where I've been in this position. And one of the things I've come to realize I had, a, I, had a, I had a struggle for a long time asking God, could you really use me? That was my fear. Can God really use me? Can God really use my situation? And I remember God saying to me through his word that if you don't, that if you believe in the lie that you are disqualified, then you actually doubt the entirety of the gospel. I remember driving, I I can tell you exactly where I was, Murdoch Avenue, right next to Texas Roadhouse and right in between the cemetery behind PHS. I can remember very clearly, God, if I believe the lie that I am not qualified, which I'm not qualified, but if I believe the lie that I cannot be used by God, then I am doubting his entire gospel. Because his gospel is made for great joy for who? All people, including me, and that he can still use me. But so often we look to every single thing for joy. We look for every single thing for help, but we never look to the one who actually gives us joy. We never look to the one who brought the good news of great joy. And I will say the only source of joy is that which is in Jesus Christ. And every fear that we have, every failure that we have, every circumstance, every consequence that you guys now face in your life, let me tell you that joy will triumph triumph over all of it. You might think, I won't be happy. No. Adults, are there things in your life that you're not happy about? Can you see the joy in it, though? Because we just sang a song called Seasons. Did you listen to the words? We've been singing this song for a couple of weeks in a row. It is my favorite worship song on the radio right now. Favorite worship song. The idea of this, God's planting us in a, in a certain place, and he's planted us not just to be there, he's planted us to grow. And guess what? You guys are growing right now. All of us adults, we are all still growing. And if God's not done growing us, then we should not be waiting on, we should be patient, knowing that, hey, there's something still to be done here. It says, God, if you're not done working, I'm not done waiting, because we get very impatient. I was just telling Teresa Truax earlier, my Bible study used to say, Scott, you're very patient. I'm like, bullcrap. I'm the most impatient person in the world. They said, no, you're just impatient in the short term, but you're patient in the long term. Because I don't like my circumstances sometimes. My circumstances annoy me. My circumstances circumstances sometimes freak me out. I, I challenge God. I question God. But then all of a sudden, he always reminds me of what is to come. That the season of life that I am now in may not be the best for me in my own mindset, my own thoughts but guess what the season still produces something greater in the next season and then in the next season and the next season and there'll still come a day when I see my tree as it says and I'll still believe there's still even a greater day that is to come Philippians chapter four and this is where we're going to finish because I said if you're going to remove something you're going to replace it with something Jesus came to drive out fear and replace it with joy but Philippians chapter four starting in verse four some of my favorite passages in scripture it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Sounds pretty good, right? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, if you're not going to be anxious, you've got to do something different. Do, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Be, let them be na- made known to God. The things you are struggling with, the things that are bringing you down, the things that you are Feel like you're going nuts over the things that you feel like you're dying inside over. Present them to God. And what does it say? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's nothing in this world that will answer those questions except for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lowly, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And a little bit later, it gets down to verse 13. Everyone knows this passage, I believe. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not because I have everything that I need. It's not that because I have reached everything that I want. It's not that I have all that I think I need to be successful in life. It's all because I now have this idea of this joy that I have in my following through that joy, through that spirit, through that strength. I can overcome all things in this world because guess what? I'm not going to spend my time worrying about all these things that bring me down. I'm not going to spend my time worrying about who said what about me or what they said about me or what I did to them. I'm going to spend all my time focusing on the things that are admirable, pure, holy, worthy of praise, worthy of excellence. When you take out the negative thoughts in your head, you have to replace them with what? Positive ones. The positive ones are all the great things that you have going in your life. Adults, it may be easier for us to look back over the 20, 30, 40 years of our lives and go, wow, look how God brought me from here to here. These kids, they, you guys may struggle to say, I don't know how you're ever going to bring me out of this. Trust me. Look at every single one of us. Look at how we've been able to bring it through these times. So you know what? It's not on our strength. That's whose strength that it's on. Jesus Christ, and guess what? When you come in the midst of this, when you come in the midst of all this and you're looking for joy, you know what you have to come back to? There's only one thing you can come to. The promises of God. That even though I, I have a hard time rationalizing how all things can work for the good, I have to believe it because he said it right here. That I have to believe in his promises like, "Be not fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will help ho- ho- I will uphold you with my right hand of righteousness. Do not be anxious about your life. What shall you eat? What shall you wear? Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. For whom shall I be afraid? It's not just one promise. It's a book of promises. Of God looking at every single one of us in the current season of life and saying, I have planted you here. I have great plans for you. I have plans for you with a hope and a promise and a future. You may not understand it now, but I promise you, there's still a greater day ahead for every single one of us. I want to invite the band back up. And I'm actually going to ask you guys just to do seasons again. Is that cool? Listen to the words again that we are all just seeds planted in the ground that we've all been planted to grow. And you may not understand why you're in the season that you're in currently. You may not understand why God placed you in Williamstown, why God placed you in Marietta, why did God give you these parents, why did God not give me these parents. God has placed us all in a certain situation for our benefit, but also for his glory. And through that, we can can look at his promises and know that we can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that we can have peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with one another, and we have a hope, not just because of the hope that came, but the hope that we have ahead of us.